everyone, and welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast, a podcast in which we explore the business and future of video games. I'm Aaron Bush, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Lexi Sido, the head of insights at Data.ai, which, by the way, is Novic's data partner for all things mobile gaming. Now, Lexi, I think most of our listeners know generally what Data.ai is, and we'll spend more time later in the episode talking about what the team is building towards, but many people might not know you. So to start, one, welcome to the episode, but two, I'd love to, to give you a chance to, to properly introduce yourself. Uh, How did you get to data.ai and what does it mean to be head of insights there? Thank you, and thank you for having me. Uh, yes, so I lead the insights team. Um, I came to Data AI from um, a bit of tenure in the marketing and advertising space and as an analyst for a while, uh, dabbled in fintech and actually in some environmental work as well, um, and found my way into mobile. So I've been there for about seven years, um, which feels, I think in tech is, means I'm basically there for like 50 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. 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 But it's it's such an interesting sector. It's so fun. Um, and it, as part of the Insights team, we produce... Uh, reports and blogs and analyses on the data. So you get to kind of just play in the data all day and follow the trends and try to unpack what's happening and understand where we're going. So super fun. And we're really excited to kind of bring it to other people. So being on podcasts like this is fantastic. We love talking about all the work that we've been doing and get very excited and very nerdy about some of the trends in the data. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds fun. And of course, you know, we at Novik enjoy all the reports that you publish. And a big reason why we're having this conversation today um, is because um, you and the Data.ai team recently published your mega State of Mobile 2023 report, uh, which if you're listening, you can find in the, the link to this episode description. Um, and naturally, the report covers quite a bit because it's the state of all things mobile. And we'll, we'll focus on digging deeper into the gaming parts um, you know, further in this conversation. But before we dive into that, Lexi, is there any more context sitting you want to set around this specific report for those interested before we jump in? Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically 93 pages of lots and lots of analysis. Uh, we cover all sorts of verticals throughout mobile. We try to get as much as possible. Uh, we covered, up, there's 17 countries doing kind of deep dives, and then we've got rankings for 30 countries. It's, it's pretty massive, and it's interactive, so just kind of a word to the wise. It's best viewed kind of in a web browser, because then you can toggle between countries. Uh, it is in its 10th year. So this is officially the 10th version of this we've done. So every year we've kind of made it bigger and better than the last. And um, it is really a labor of love. So lots of lots of stuff in it. And we're always looking for feedback and questions. And so people can can reach out to us at any point. Um, we love to hear from people who read it and we, we make it for you guys. So we want it to be as, as good as possible. Awesome. Yeah, I could tell that it took a lot of work to put together. So congrats on the team. For, for getting that out there. Um, and also, the for me personally, I thought the interactive chart element was pretty cool. Um, so, so nice touch there. But I guess let's go ahead and, and jump in. And you know, since the report covers quite a lot of ground, this conversation will, will also bounce around a decent bit. But maybe the best place to start is just with the, the big picture before narrowing in on game-specific topics. Um, and to me, reading the report, if there's any high-level takeaway it's that in 2022, mobile downloads grew 11%, time spent grew 9%, but consumer spending fell 2%. And you know, listeners of this podcast 
know all about the IDFA impacts. A lot of them feel it in their their day to day of you know making mobile games. Um, but I'm curious, Lexi, is that the main driver behind the growth discrepancy here in 2022, or are or are there other pieces at play? I'm curious how Data.AI is attributing that decline there. Yeah, it's a great question. We, on the whole, a lot of the decline we're seeing um, is felt across both app stores as well. And uh, so, so for us, there's a bit more than just IDFA happening here. Um, and for us, the big thing that we're seeing is this sort of macroeconomic squeeze. So it's it's more of a reflection um, and an indicator of where people are in the market with their current disposable income and where they're spending. So uh, in the report, we talk about it, but basically it, not all sectors are treated equal as well. So gaming, for instance, took the biggest hit. Uh, we saw a gaming decline 5% year on year for consumer spend, whereas non-gaming was actually still up 6% year on year. Gaming still represents about 66% of all spend. Um, so it is the, the bigger chunk that's happening. Um, so in context, though, both of these growth rates, uh, you know, one decline, one slowed. Last year on the whole, we had seen 19% growth. So it is in stark contrast. Um, I think there's also a little bit of this um, kind of coming back down from some pandemic highs, but it is important to note that the levels of, of spending gaming specifically are still higher than these pre-pandemic levels. So that kind of impact of a pandemic-induced boost is still here, um, but we are seeing, yeah, some, some major impacts. And I think for us, when we were looking at some of the correlations and, and looking at sort of where people are spending, games unfortunately seems particularly sensitive to the fact that people are feeling high cost of living, inflationary pressures, and just less money in the wallet. Yeah. And I'm curious how you see these trends shaping out this year. How are how are you and the team predicting? What are you predicting in terms of gaming downloads, IIP revenues this year? Will it be more of the same that we saw last year or do you think it'll be be different? Yeah, we, we we are actually forecasting that it will decline a little bit more to 107 billion. So right now it's at 110, and then we're we're predicting about a three percent decline um, to about 107. So that's a lot of that impact would be the continuation of this sort of macro squeeze on folks um, from a financial side, and then also the impact of um, and I know you guys have have spoken about this a lot as well, but IDFA. Um, cracking down on fingerprinting, uh, Google privacy changes coming into effect. So we're really expecting a bit more of that impact on user acquisition for targeting those whale spenders. Um, and so we do expect to see a bit more softening this year. Um, in the non-gaming space, we actually expect to see some strong behavior still, um, especially within the kind of entertainment, dating, streaming space. We don't see people compromising on spending for those at this time. But in gaming, we do expect to see that slight decline again. Yeah, I think we're we're pretty aligned, and that echoes a lot of sentiment throughout the industry. That you know, unless there are pretty major changes that happen with platforms or just ad tech um, in general, where, where people are acquiring new users and that becoming more effective, it's hard to see. It's hard to see you know the the IAP revenue side. Um, really move the needle positively in a big way in the in the near term. Of course, that doesn't mean that that's a, a long term trend that's here to stay. We'll we'll bounce back eventually, and the market will continue to evolve. But um, yeah, probably not 
not great what everyone wants to hear, but uh, I think we're probably aligned on what what's going to happen there. Um, but interestingly, like another high level tidbit is that global mobile ad spend has risen year after year, and your team is forecasting continued growth there in 2023, despite ongoing headwinds that we've discussed about UA capabilities and marketing budgets and what is potentially a recessionary environment. And part of this growth, despite the headwinds, the report says, is because of a partial shift from performance to brand advertising, uh, which I, I can see that happening you know, pretty effectively in many corners of mobile. But I'm curious if you think that that shift also applies to the games industry too. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So we actually uh, began looking at this a few years ago. And even as of 2019, we were seeing that shift of an increase in spending for brand advertising onto games specifically. Um, So I do think that that games is definitely going to be a sector we do see that. there's a lot of eyes there, even despite the fact that that uh, consumer spend declined in games, time spent grew. So we actually saw about uh, close to 20% growth on the whole in the game sector last year for time spent. So still that huge, you know, large engaged community, the eyes are there. Um, but then I do see that there's, you know, there might be a disproportionate flow of branding, uh, brand advertising more to say like short video or video apps as well. That's where we see a huge kind of area of growth within the mobile ad space. Well, Lexi, since we're already discussing the games industry a bit here, let's go ahead and poke in deeper. Uh, I mean, I guess, first of all, the report has an interesting interactive chart about how trends in consumers' disposable income correlate with spending in gaming apps. And we already talked about this a little bit as an interesting signal. And it sounds logical, but I'm curious... Um, if you happen to know if this is a new correlation or if it's been this way before. And I'm and I'm just asking this because there's always this debate in the games industry about how truly recession-resistant the games industry is. And seeing this correlation here just made me think that this is potentially an interesting indicator. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. We... It's a bit tricky with mobile because um, the last sort of economic downturn on a global level that we had was in 2008. Um, so pre-mobile <laughs> game boom. Um, but during yeah. that time, yeah. So during that time, we've actually seen in terms of console spending that games were very resilient um, in 2008 and 2009. Now, it's a little bit uncertain how we're navigating with mobile because our chart in the report indicates that people in the face of declining kind of disposable income, that they are in fact um, spending less in games. Now, I think that there's there's a there's a lot of speculation here, right? Because a lot of economists and folks are saying that the macroeconomic climate is behaving differently than other downturns as well, right? We haven't fully called it a recession because um, jobs are still strong. Um, so there's this interesting dynamic that we're not 100% sure. Even other indicators like the lipstick index, for instance, uh, weren't necessarily proving out where you know people, they say in economic downturns, buy sort of small, um, quick kind of happiness hits in a sense and lipstick or cheaper lipsticks could be that. Um, but that hasn't actually seen the same effect as previous times. And then we're seeing this sort of pent up demand to go outside, to travel. Uh, time spent in travel apps are up almost 50%. Airline apps up 27%. Um, 
We're also seeing people more cost conscious and price sensitive. Personal loans are up 76%. Buy now, pay later is up about 50% for time spent. Um, shopping is still up 15% year on year. And we still had record kind of Black Friday sales. And so there's this sort of interesting dynamic. People are spending, but they're very cost conscious and hunting for deals. Um, we see like user-generated content at the forefront, streaming and exclusive content still driving consumption. So I think at this point, there's a question of where our dollars are flowing. So I don't think we fully, fully know. Um, I think this year will be very interesting to monitor. I would like to say, I hope that gaming is super resilient, but at least what we're seeing so far is that gaming is taking more of the initial hit. Um, and there could be a little bit of competition for wallet share where people are spending sort of um, those microtransactions in things like TikTok, for instance. Maybe the, the money is flowing a little bit out of gaming um, because you you only have a certain amount of mm. money to spend. And there's a bit of that blurred lines, right, with entertainment and escapism where, you know, there's some of that um, gaming versus, say, video streaming versus short form kind of consumption. So I think that there's an element that people can really tap into some of these trends creatively to try to kind of grow amidst this area. Uh, but I don't know if we have a strong answer on how we think mobile games will or will not. Uh, but if we take historical trends for gaming overall, they should be relatively resilient. Um, so I think we will see how this pans out this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense. Um uh, to expect some resiliency, but naturally, when people have less money to spend, they will probably spend less money, especially in areas that are a bit more optional, right? Such as in yeah. free-to-play gaming, where <laughs> you can still play without spending as much money as maybe you did before. And of course, if people are have less disposable income, while at the same time, there's more competition for you know players' time. As the world has opened back up, you mentioned travel has grown. Um, and uh, other other elements of just options for people to do things are have been growing too. So um, makes sense that the gaming might not be quite as resilient as people thought. Looking at the last recession, where it was primarily more console based, and at you know pretty early in like a, a console cycle there, where there was still pent up demand um, for everything going on there. Um, so cool. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. But let's go ahead now and and talk a bit more about specific genres, kind of digging deeper into some rabbit holes here. And to, to set this up, the report has an interesting page that breaks the market down by genre and shares how both downloads and IAP spend trended in 2022. Unsurprisingly, most genres saw downloads grow a bit while IAP revenue slipped. But there are some more stark or uncorrelated areas that I think would just be uh, fun to call out and, and discuss a little bit. Uh, one of those where maybe we can start is Casino, which represents 3% of downloads, but 11% of IAP spend. And in 2022, Casino saw spending fall about 2%, but downloads spiked 48%. And that, that number caught my eye. Um, clearly, Casino is impacted by ATT, all the privacy changes, um, but that still is a huge spike in outsized RPD erosion compared to other genres. So uh, I'm curious, Lexi, if you have any insight or thoughts into what's going on there. 
Yes. Yeah. Casino certainly is an interesting sector. And we see a lot of the spend being driven by the US, um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, so Australia being one of the markets that actually very greatly outsizes <laughs> its population size and how much it spends in these games. Um, so there's a note of positivity there because Australia is not as, um, they're not saying it's, we're not sure about, it's not as dire, uh, it seems right now for if we pl- go into a recession. I think there's some questions here. It doesn't seem quite as, um, imminent potentially as in the US. But in terms of that downloads, it's super interesting where we see that the global figure for 2022 was about 1.5 billion downloads for casinos. That's up almost 48% um, uh, year on year, as you mentioned, from 1 billion. And the top five markets for those downloads were India, US, Indonesia, Brazil, and the Philippines. Um, So that kind of, I think, tells you a lot about where that growth is coming from, which those, especially in India, Indonesia, uh, Brazil has seen actually strong. Brazil was one of the markets that bucked the global trend for declines in revenue or in in spend. In Brazil, actually, spend was up for games. Mm. Um, But that being said, Philippines, India, Indonesia tend to be very high download markets with lower spend associated. Um, And so Interestingly, India was sort of the biggest driver here. So we saw about um, half or about a third of the the downloads in 2022 came from India. um, And that growth rate for casino downloads in India was up almost 200 percent. Teen Patty games remain really popular. But then uh, Jungly Rummy was one of the big growers in that space. And they took the kind of top spot in India for breakout casino downloads. Um, and one of the interesting things there about that game and its success is that they've uh, the gameplay is is prioritized to be super smooth and still really functional, even on low spec devices. So uh, they've prioritized a 2G, 3G network connection so that people in metro cities as well as smaller towns can access um, and that kind of network stability. And it's a skill based game. It caters to local tastes and it kind of benefited from that pandemic boost. So this area, I think, is driving a lot of that growth um, alone. And that's where you see that really dramatic growth in downloads. And perhaps we're not seeing that spend come as as much because it's coming out of a market that doesn't have usually spend as much as, say, the U.S. or Australia for casinos specifically. Gotcha. Uh, So I guess in summary there, it seems like uh, companies, casino-oriented companies are shifting their focus from so-called tier one regions to the more tier two kinds of regions where they're able to get a lot more downloads, but maybe the the unit economics on those downloads are not as good as they once were when focusing on more of the tier one regions. Does that kind of sum it up pretty well what you're saying? Yeah, and I think there's there's growth in other sort of pockets as well. So casino has always been largely popular. Um, you know, in a lot of markets in the West, for instance, but um, I think that's pretty spot on. Okay, cool. Also, this is a total tangent, but um, you mentioned how uh, Australia isn't going through the recessionary pressures as much as the world. And so I just randomly Googled the last time Australia had a recession, which is 1991. So I don't know what, what's going <laughs> on in Australia and how <laughs> how you all are able to dodge recessions left and right over there. But that's impressive. And I think the, re- the rest of the world has something to learn from <laughs> Australia. But anyways, that's probably another another podcast episode on a different podcast. But I was just like, what? But okay, <laughs> back to gaming. Um, so a second a second genre that that caught my eye in the report is that action 
bucked the trend of declines um, in 2022 that we saw in other genres. Downloads grew 8%, but IAP, IAP spend grew 20%. Um, so I'm curious if you have any insight into what drove this. Yes. Um, so a big call out. So within the, the action space, MOBA was sort of the big subgenre that drove some of that monetization success among action games. Um, and we saw that consumer spend hit an all-time high in 2022 for MOBA at $3.2 billion, And that was up 63% year on year. And the big players that contributed there, um, Honor of Kings in China was by far a leader. Uh, League of Legends, Wild Rift, and Mobile Legends, Bang Bang continued to kind of show strong performance there. And I think there's that kind of staple uh, of players for them as well. It's a core, you know, it's a staple game for a lot of core mobile gamers around the world, and especially in APAC. Um, so I think that that's one of the big areas that's driving as well. And and mobile is sort of that go-to platform for a lot of seasoned gamers too, and especially in APAC, where um, people are gravitating towards some of these popular core games uh, within MOBA specifically. And I think it will still see this to have sustained impact going forward. Um, interestingly, in China too, uh, games were a bit more resilient on iOS. We actually saw some growth there. Um, and that China's as a market behaved fairly differently to other markets last year, especially given that they were predominantly in lockdown all year as well. So there wasn't that necessarily like, necessarily like pent up travel demand being uh, realized, for instance. So there could have been a lot more of that being home and playing games longer as well. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I was just looking to, it looks like Wild Rift launched it in like the tail end of 2021. So for yeah. comparing 2022 to 2021. That probably is like a new game that moved the needle a decent bit, at least in, in the West. Um, so that makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious if you think that, you know, whether this growth is sustainable or whether you think it'll fall back in line kind of more with other genres in 2023. Yeah, it it is really, it, it is an interesting sector. I think what's going to be interesting as well is, so it's, it's very popular, as we mentioned in APAC. And I think there's a lot of question marks on the China gaming market in particular. And there are some indications, um, even some of the public earning calls, folks are, are quoting that they think um, gaming regulations should lessen a bit in China this coming year. That's some of the expectations that um, some of the analysts and actually yeah. some of the executives are saying. So there, if that is the case, um, that could be, that could bode very well for this genre specifically, just given how um, kind of, not disproportionate, but how much China in particular and APAC as a whole over indexes for sort of spend and time spent in the MOBA genre. I think as we see more sort of titles migrate as well. So I think strong IP or console PC games that, that migrate to mobile um, in the same vein, as you mentioned, of League of Legends launching, that will contribute a lot as well there. So we do see sustained um, sustained levels of gameplay and people really prioritizing, you know, people are love these games. And like I mentioned a few times, especially in APAC, it's very strong. Um, and I think that some of the new titles will hopefully sustain this as well. Some of that growth rates going forward. Interesting. Uh, well, let's shift gears and talk about hyper-casual a bit. Um, naturally, hyper-casual is a genre that's evolved tremendously over time. It's defied skepticism for many, many years, um, yet it continues to change and grow downloads and spending. Um, but even so, many people 
are now calling for a decline in hypercasual because of new interstitial ad rules, a tougher advertising environment, et cetera. Um, I'm curious where you and data.ai fall on that. How do you think, you know, based on the data that you're seeing, how do you think hypercasual will evolve next? And maybe compared to 2022, what kind of impact would that look like on its 2023 numbers? Yeah, it's a great question because I think people were surprised to know that, for instance, earlier in the year, we were reporting on hypercasual and Q1 of, of 2022 saw the biggest level of downloads ever for hypercasual, um, which I think surprised a lot of people. There was that sentiment that maybe this would decline. I think hypercasual in particular benefited a lot from that pandemic boost where you had folks that were not gamers at all. Um dabble and kind of that first sort of entry point for a lot of folks to game. Uh, we are seeing a lot more nuance in the space. So for instance, our game IQ sort of taxonomy, we have 12 different subgenres within hyper casual. So it, it feels like for every, not every type of game, but for a lot of the core gameplay mechanics, there's sort of a hyper casual offshoot. We've got like action, arcade, music, shooting, sports, racing, there's so many that I think there's a lot of nuance developing that space and tapping into a lot of the market where people are still hungry for some very um, maybe low commitment <laughs> games. Um, Merge and Fight was a great example. They had a really yeah. strong year. Um, and that one actually kind of defied our categorization. It's in the other category. It's a heavy, heavily strategy game, um, kind of collection and battle mechanics and, um, you know, leveraging monsters and dragons and merging into like a bigger sort of entity. And that that one actually didn't fit in any predefined category. So I think there's a lot of evolution and nuance still happening. In terms of affecting numbers, I do think as well, hyper casual games can introduce sort of those alternative or additional revenue streams as well um, beyond the usual advertising options. So, you know, yes, hyper casual does rely on that. And there's um, and also for user acquisition. But interestingly, we've seen some examples of that play out where uh, people are, you know, defying, I guess, expectations and paying for in-app purchases in these hyper-casual games as well. So Army Commander is a great example of that. Um, paying to remove ads is by far the largest revenue generator for that game in terms of purchase volume as well as total revenue. And it's sort of by positioning itself sort of as that premium hyper-casual game I think Army Commander was able to kind of target this mid-core segment, in a sense, um, of that gaming population that's sort of happier than most, potentially, to pay for an enhanced experience in the game. Um, so that's one example. We've also seen, you know, Magic Tiles 3 Piano Fire um, also has various VIP and subscription in-app purchases, um, which give you access to kind of fresh content, and such as music and kind of cosmetic things. Um, that keeps engagement high as well. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the hyper-casual space where we'll see some innovative gameplay mechanics, both, both for sort of taking some more mid-core core mechanics and kind of making it more approachable, as well as hybrid monetization techniques um, that kind of supplement the ad-based model. So I'm, I'm actually very optimistic about seeing strong growth in hyper-casual this year continue. Interesting. Yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Personally, I I don't know. Like I, I see the headwinds and the tailwinds, and I, I don't know exactly how it'll shape out in the numbers. But I think the trend that you hit on of a lot of these games 
innovating and taking on new game mechanics and economy mechanics. Um, that's definitely that's definitely a trend that has picked up, and I think will continue to pick up even even recently too. Um, and in our Novic Pro service, we were looking at. Um, a game called Zen Match, which is a tile lane game. It was also, um, you know, recently acquired by Moon Active that essentially was just like a hyper casual tile laying game that, you know, took on a lot of casual game mechanic components and kind of made it no longer a hyper casual game, but still kind of a hyper casual game. And I guess you could kind of say the same for like another game that blew up this past year, which is Stumble Guys, you know, built off of... Um, you know, Fall Guys from, uh, you know, which is now owned by Epic Games and Stumble Guys, you know, bringing that type of game to mobile, but adding new game economy me mechanics, including, you know, like like player versus player, like actual um, uh, mechanics and more types of purchasing. And, you know, it was successful enough to get acquired by Scopely, who is going to help take that game to the next level. So I think that's an astute observation. And, um is happening in so many different kinds of games that maybe it becomes harder to classify what even is hyper casual as it kind of like bleeds in with these game mechanics that are, you know, often recognized in other categories. But it's a it's a super interesting uh, evolution. Um, I'm curious, you know, you know, just in terms of these genres, I want to talk about a couple interesting subgenres in a moment. But before we get there. Um, do you have any thoughts on which genres could perform best or worst, especially when it comes to spending in 2023? Yeah, this is really interesting. I one thing I'll call out immediately that was that I was a little bit surprised. And then once once we started to kind of look into the data, it made sense was um, so, for instance, uh, sandbox, uh, creative sandbox games, uh, they actually grew significantly in time spent and downloads and consumer spend took a pretty, pretty sizable hit. And I think that that speaks to sort of um, the core of what could be happening is the, the microtransactions for sort of, I don't know if I wouldn't call them luxury items, but it's like, you know, in-app consumables, like, you know, getting a new hat or an avatar skin or something. Um, that was an interesting observation there. So yeah. I think that's, that's something I would be watching closely. I, I'm not sure if that will continue or not, but definitely was one of those areas that from seeing pockets of growth and then also the flip side with spend declining there, I think we, there could be a bit of this out and about. Um, so because people, there is still that pent up demand to be, in real life, we saw ticket service. I know I've mentioned um, travel, you know, trains and airplanes and events and booking things in, in real life being, we've seen very strong growth there. Um, I think potentially given some of the new game, uh, well, rumored or potentially the ones that are confirmed for game launches, we could see things like um, AR doing well in the sense of Marvel World of Heroes is, is rumored to be launching. And so that could be an interesting one where that capturing on that out and about trend. Pokemon Go in particular during the pandemic was very resilient and they did a great job of finding ways to kind of, you know, keep it local and, and abide by sort of restrictions that most people were feeling. Uh, but that could be an interesting sector. I know AR as a whole, apart from Pokemon Go, has not typically seen super strong growth, but I'm curious if the Marvel franchise will be enough to kind of help that. Um, other areas that I could see, I mean, I think honestly, a lot of the IPs being super strong, that'll drive a lot of growth in, in regardless of genre. Um, so 
some of the ones coming to mobile, Final Fantasy. Um, there's a Pokemon trading card game. Um, there's another game coming out from Nintendo, a runner style game. Um, DC Heroes and Villains, potentially Monster Hunter Mobile. So I think some of those IP could drive a lot of that growth. Um, and then we also see some more competitive games kind of coming. Uh, Warzone Mobile, which is one of the Call of Duty series, Star Wars Hunters, Star Wars Hunters. So there could be, I think those will be some of the big drivers, right? And I think that speaks to some of the trends where we're seeing strong IP being uh, help, helping to drive some of that adoption despite some of the headwinds in the UA space too. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I would have some questions on maybe a handful of those that that you mentioned. Um, but in general, the trend of just rockstar IPs coming to mobile and that continuing to pick up steam. I think I think that continues to be an interesting tailwind. That especially in an era where user acquisition is hard, leaning even more so on the the brands that people recognize and will be searching for. Um, that makes a lot of sense for companies to be leaning increasingly in that direction. So so thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, one other subgenre that was the biggest loser this year in terms of time spent was Battle Royale. And I'd be curious to get your, your thoughts on this. Um, and the decline in Battle Royale had a pretty notable impact on the shooter's genre, naturally. Um, Free Fire, you know, kind of fell off a cliff. And India, of course, uh, all the downloads there faced a lot of volatility around the banning of certain games as it got a bit geopolitical. Um, and one prediction Novik has had is that the next wave of growth in shooters could come from an emergence of extraction shooters. Um, um, so I'm just curious to get your your thoughts on that. Um, do, you, do you agree or disagree that that could be uh, an area in which the shooter genre finds renewed growth? Or do you think Battle Royale will revert and make a comeback? Would, would just love your thoughts on uh, this shooter genre and where it could go next. Yeah, I, I do think that that could be an area of growth for sure. Um, I think the shooter genre is particularly popular and Battle Royale was one of the big growth sectors for it on mobile. Um, but extraction shooters could absolutely be kind of a next wave evolution for mobile as well. Um, one of the areas for Battle Royale that we're seeing, and, and you mentioned this just before, um, but I could see this being a strong kind of area in our taxonomy, we actually don't even categorize it as like battle royale because that's it's within shooters. Um, but party royale, we put as its own sort of bucket. And that's where for us, Stumble Guys actually sits under a party royale. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that could be an interesting one. I think the battle royale mechanic will always remain very relevant, especially on mobile. Um, it's proven to be extremely good at, you know, tapping into that want for socialization and sort of, um, you know, even that cross-platform play. And I think the the Stumble Guys sort of popularity is super interesting because I could see that this is sort of tapping into potentially an emerging thread here, which is, is a little bit different than Shooter, but kind of tapping into the connected Battle Royale style of gaming, um, which is very strong, where you've got the online competitive multiplayer environment. But then it kind of taps into gravitating towards more casual, accessible, less kind of hardcore gameplay mechanics and also a little bit less, I guess, for want of a better word, like, you know, not as much violence potentially. So maybe there's a little bit of a, a, a younger skew that could happen, too. I see that as a really interesting area where I think there could be a lot of um, 
a lot of growth potentially following this this sort of initial rise that we saw in 2022. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that that's the direction you would have taken that question. The non <laughs> the non-violent royale as an area <laughs> of opportunity. But that's uh but that no that is interesting. I haven't really thought about it in that that way before. Um so yeah, we'll we'll be thinking on that some more um this year and see see what happens there. Um one other area that I want to talk about before we can um just talk a bit more about data.ai and then and then wrap up is uh China and the reports notes that even though the Chinese game market has been volatile, especially because of regulatory reasons, Chinese publishers have and continue to push for more influence and market share around the world. Um, and this is something that we've we've talked about many times on this podcast before. But um, just to, to get some numbers here, how much of the, the mobile games market, especially outside of China, belongs to Chinese publishers? And how do you see that trend going in the future for mobile? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so, and, and actually speaking, um, we've even seen a lot of the large gaming companies um, when they've done their earnings calls talk about their domestic market growth and their overseas growth. And typically what they've seen is pretty strong performance overseas. Um, in our data, Data AI, what we see is Chinese uh, China headquartered publishers uh, account for about 21.4% of total mobile gaming revenue outside of China. Um, and that has been up from 20.9 in 2021 and 19.7 in 2022, or excuse me, 2020. Um, so steady, steady upward growth there. Um, I do think that there's also some, some key geos of focus that we're, we're noticing a lot for China, um, headquartered companies. So Japan is obviously a very lucrative gaming market on its own. And we've seen China headquartered companies make inroads there where you actually see, yes, the lion's share or the bulk of the majority of the consumer spend um, in Japan is still flowing to homegrown domestic publishers. But it's interesting that that share is sort of has declined over the last three years in Japan. And China has basically been the reason for that making up that gap. They've kind of taken that market share and grown by about five percentage points over two years. Um, and that's a concerted effort we've seen even in discussions we're having in the market. Um, we're also seeing very strong emphasis on some sort of going global or overseas growth around eyeing. Um, and this is general for all sort of outside of gaming as well. But Southeast Asia has always been a core kind of market for China. Um, Latin America, we've seen renewed emphasis on sort of tapping into the markets that are emerging there. And the Middle East as well, being a, a key kind of area of growth too. So definitely stronger growth there um, on the global scale. But I found it particularly interesting that China was sort of taking over a bit more market share in Japan, which is historically very um, sort of has historically been very committed to sort of homegrown titles. Um, I think there's also some pub publishers in China have sort of the advantage of kind of operational capabilities where they've got large scale. Um, there's the sheer size of the domestic market, connected game services. Um, they've had a lot of successful titles like Genshin Impact that have done very well in, in, in Asia Pacific markets. Um, and then they've done really well with mobile ports of games like Battle Royale games like PUBG, League of Legends kind of mobile ports, Diablo. Um, and I think they've They've demonstrated a really strong track record of both original IP and then adoption of global IP. So I do think that we're they're positioned to see strong growth. Um, and a lot of the publishers have also kind of 
established overseas bases in like Japan and Singapore and various parts of Europe so they can have that direct market access, partnerships with other global players. And I would expect this year that we see an increased uh, increased takeover of that market share from, from China headquarter companies, for sure. I think they're very well positioned for it. And especially given the regulations in the domestic market, there seems to be an emphasis on also, you know, going outward as well and making sure there's sort of revenue coming in from both. Yeah, the incentive is definitely there for these companies to act more global, as it is for most any any company to try reaching new markets, right? Uh, but even so, 20, 24% of the non-China market belonging to Chinese um, companies, that's still a lot. And that's a pretty notable figure, I think, for people to to keep in mind. And I guess the like one caveat there is that, you know, not all of those games are made in China, right? Like a company like Tencent would own like a Riot Games, which, you know, operates primarily out of North America, but still is a a, a Chinese company. But even so, like that's interesting too. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to think that the number number will go up because these companies will focus on more of their game launches worldwide. Um, they could continue to do more MA. Not really sure where that's gonna go, just given geopolitical environments, but I'm sure they can make more more moves still. And then an, a new kind of sub-trend of all of this that I've picked up on a little bit, and we've talked about this in another episode recently, but um, many uh, stu- or many Chinese publishers, and we were looking at NetEase in particular, they're launching new studios worldwide that are built ground up in different regions like Japan or like, like North America um, that, you know, aren't necessarily... Uh, you know, necessarily, you know, Chinese people making, you know, more Chinese market games, but, you know, just more Chinese funded of, of, you know, industry veterans from North America or Europe or Japan who are making new games for those markets. So not all of that is mobile. If anything, there might be a bit more of a, of a console bent to that. But even so, yeah, there's plenty of growth opportunity for um, for these Chinese companies to continue leaning into the rest of the world and in more ways. So, yeah, I'm really curious to see you know, if we zoom forward a decade, it's 24% right now, you said. Um, I'm, I'm very curious to see what that number will will be once we once we zoom forward. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see for the State of Mobile 2033 report, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And just as a, it's 21.4, so not quite 24. Um, just, oh, 21, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Throwing in that decimal point, it's sort of unnecessary. <laughs> so it's more like 21, but... I mean, uh, still sizable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just bad at math today, I guess. <laughs> um, but okay, uh, I guess before we wrap up in our in our final few minutes, I, I'd like to spend some time just talking about data.ai itself, um, um, if you don't mind. And I guess maybe like first of all, I'd just love to get your take on what is the state of data.ai today, um, like. How like how big is the company? What all are you up to right now? What's new? Yeah, so we have about oh, I never know the exact number. I think it's about 550, 600 folks globally. Um, we're fully remote. We did that during the pandemic, so we're we're still global. We've still I think at this point it's over thirteen different countries potentially or different offices. We're very global now. Um, well, we always have been, but even more so now that we've sort of embraced fully remote working. Um, there's over 1,500 kind of enterprise companies using our our our, our product. Um, and then also, I guess, worth noting, especially in this climate, we are actually hiring for some key roles. 
Um, so I feel like that's a bit of a rare thing to be able to, to say these days. Um, so pretty exciting still. Um, lots yeah. of, lots of fun times. We've, we've basically worked very hard on some of our app IQ and game IQ taxonomy. And that's what powered the state of mobile. Um, so there's lots more advancements coming with that. Um, and that's been a very, for a data person, that was a very exciting first time we were able to do the full state of mobile using all kind of that custom categorization taxonomy for both games and apps. Um, so that was pretty cool. That is cool. And obviously at Novic, we're, we're power users of data.ai every day. But for those who are maybe less familiar, um, could you just spend like a minute just saying like, what what is the product suite? And especially like, what is differentiated about it in the market? I think that could be interesting for people. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Data AI has a suite of of gaming services, essentially. So I'll talk a little bit about gaming, but it's also non-gaming and gaming. We cover sort of the whole lifecycle um, that you would expect for mobile. We offer market data and analytics around what is happening in the space and competitive benchmarking. Um, we have data that allows you, you know, ASO data, creative user acquisition data, um, looking at engagement. So sort of this full player lifecycle, um, retention, monetization data. We have an advanced game IQ taxonomy that um, speaking as someone who gets to use it every day as an analyst, I love it. It's it's basically allows you to break down the whole ecosystem into more sort of nuanced, meaningful buckets. And then we also have this like deep layer of tagging. So we're able to see um, there's like first time user experience where things are tagged for how quickly you get into the core game loop. Um, we've got all sorts of tags around monetization and, you know, are there advertising? Is there a VIP bundle? Is there a gotcha? Like loot boxes? What's, you know, we've got all these additional tags that allow you to do some really cool, um, I guess, analysis gymnastics. <laughs> um, so that's a little bit of my plug from an analyst yeah. side. Um, and we also have some, um, we've released our mobile performance score, which is like a bit of a composite index metric. Uh, kind of like a credit score in a sense. And that's been pretty fun to see come to, to life this year. Um, and we also just basically to kind of tell our taxonomy solution, we've passed 250,000 kind of apps and games categorized, which is super exciting. And some of the differentiation, I think, lies in a lot of those features, as well as our sort of robust market view. Um, we also have some two really cool features for folks who are analysts or looking to analyze the space. Um, we have this Excel plugin and a Snowflake plug-in as well for people who want to kind of get the data straight to where they're doing the analysis, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Um, and I guess one last question about this before we wrap up. I know we're at time, so we can make it we can make it fast, but um, obviously the team isn't done building yet. The state of data.ai won't be what it is right now forever and there'll be new stuff. Um, and I'm just curious to know if there's anything you can say about um, what's on the roadmap or what new things can users get excited for in the future? Absolutely. Um, I'll try to keep it short. We've got um, some very fun features coming out, uh, a dashboards tool that allows for more meaningful dashboarding across all the different metrics. So the user acquisition and retention and competitive benchmarking of your peer group and relative to the market movement. So some more intuitive dashboarding coming. Um, we also have in-app purchase uh, data that's coming that's very granular. So there's a snippet of that in the state of mobile actually related to social apps where you can see for TikTok, for instance, the bulk of revenue comes from a one in-app purchase that is $250 actually in the US, um, which is pretty huge. And it's actually less than 1% of people purchasing it, that purchase volume. So we have an indication that TikTok is actually 
kind of tapping into that um, whale monetization style in a sense that is popular in gaming, which is pretty cool to see. Um, so that data is coming as well as ad revenue monetization. So that one I'm particularly excited about uh, that can show a bit more of what's happening in the ad space. It's particularly salient for gaming and uh, especially with changes in the ecosystem. I think this will be a really good um, window into what's really going on. Cool. Well, I'm sure we'll be users of, of that too at Novik. Um, and I guess final, final question, Lexi, if, if someone wants to learn more about data.ai or follow you, uh, where should they go? And we'll put the links in the description. Awesome. So data.ai, the website is a great place for the company. If you go to data.ai slash insights, you'll find all of our analysis and reports, all the good stuff. Um, you can follow us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. Um, and then for me, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach out there. I'm always happy to answer questions, uh, take questions, kind of brainstorm. I love hearing from people, especially if you've read our reports and you want to kind of probe deeper. Um, I'm also on Twitter, but I don't, I'm not super active there. So I think LinkedIn might be the best place if you want to reach out to me directly. Awesome. Well, Lexi, thank you again for joining me today. It was a, a pleasure getting to know you a bit, chatting about day-to-day AI and the latest state of mobile reports. And I look forward to seeing where you and the team take it from here. Wonderful. And thank you so much for having me. This has been very fun. I would love to come back and I will be watching all the rest of the podcast and listening in as well. <laughs> Fantastic. And Lastly, to all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to give us a like, subscribe, five stars. It would mean a lot. We'll put the links to all things Lexi and data.ai in the episode description below. And of course, we'll drop some links to Novik's resources as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.